Dotnet Rocks episode 812 with guest Michelle LaRue Bustamante. Recorded live Saturday, October 13th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Toronto! Welcome to .NET Rock! Wow. You Canadians are crazy. <laughs> What's the matter with these people? It's cold outside all of a sudden, isn't yeah. it? We've driven further north on this road trip. This is the furthest north point we're going to do. And the funniest thing about the weather is last night we met Michelle Rubastamante. Who's here, by the way? Michelle Rubastamante! We met her for a drink. Now, she's from Toronto. Originally. But she's living in San Diego for sure. years and years now. And she's like, oh my God, it's, so, it's like freezing. I need gloves. <laughs> I wanted gloves. Seriously? It's cold. I was here a month ago. It was not that cold. Yeah, what happens to people when they start living yeah. in warmer climates? They turn into, uh, well. They get, they get soft. They get soft. Yeah. yeah. You get soft in lots of ways as you get older. Uh, <laughs> Well, before we talk to Michelle, we need to do a little bit of business. Oh, yes. Let's uh, do the thing. Let's the thing. start with Better Know Framework. Awesome. So, Carl, what you got? Well, other than some really crazy music, I found this great blog post. If you go to tinyurl.com slash win8chat, W-I-N-8, the number 8, chat, this guy, Gaurav Mantri... He has a great blog, and this is how I built an awesome chat application for Windows 8 with Windows Azure Mobile Service. Wow. What I like about this is he goes down the timeline of this entire project, which uses Node.js, and it's a Windows Store application, but it starts with meeting with boss. Check this out. His meeting with boss. Boss, we need a chat application for our company. Me. Um, Okay, let's get Skype on everybody's computer. No, no Skype. Okay, how about other chat applications? No, we need to build our own. It has to be a Windows 8 application. Okay, what else? Should scale up to thousands of users. Me, thinking, dude, we only got seven people in the office, but whatever. <laughs> Me, what else? It should be cheap. I don't want to pony up large moolah up front. Understood, what else? That's it. So then the guy goes to his thinking chair, and then he comes back to the boss, and you know, so it starts, it, it, the guy's got a really great way of explaining stuff, and he talks about the, the steps from installation to setting up a, an account in the store, in the Windows store, to creating his XAML page, and basic, you know, side stuffs about implementing CRUD operations. Like, this is a really nice walkthrough for anyone who wants to do a Windows store application, and along the way, you're going to learn about push notifications. Nice. Like, you know, push notification, kind of an important thing, right? In a Windows Store app, you need to send something to it without having to pull for it. What great um, find. Yeah, this is great stuff. We're, we're going to have to have him on the tablet show. Yeah, okay. And, and by the way, if you don't know about the tablet show. Who this is a tablet show that's here in the room? Oh, wow, look at that. And, and I appreciate the applause for an audio show. It's yeah, it's great. Putting up the hands. But yeah, have a handful of folks here. So the tablet show was started last year. Richard and I have got a 50 or so episodes. And we got back from Build and we decided, you know, um, there's a lot more to this than .NET. 
And so we wanted to focus on heterogeneous mobile devices, tablets, phones, not just Windows phones, obviously, Android, iOS. And we went out searching for guests that are really doing those apps and succeeding, and you know where they're failing, where they're succeeding, what their stories are. And in the, of course, this point in the cycle, where we've got so much focus on Win8, so there's been a lot of Win8 shows lately, and it sounds like this would be a great one. Yeah, so we gotta have this guy. It's at thetabletshow.com, and uh, like I said, it's at 45 minutes to an hour or so. Of, we just looked at the stats last night. Of all of the POP shows, this one is growing the fastest. Well, it's fun that we started the show in 2011 after having show, I mean, Don and Rock started in 2002 before the word podcast even existed. Right. So now starting a new show, it's growing quick. Uh, I commend it to your listening. Uh, it's completely free and uh, it's supported by advertisers like all of our shows. So please uh, give us a listen and, and give us some feedback. Hey, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show, you're going to love this, show 801, which is the show we did with our, one of our hosts, Joan Rosenblatt, when he yep. was talking about Azure's new features. And this is a comment by a fellow whose pseudonym is Curious Techie, but his actual name is uh, uh, Brett Robichaud. He's out of uh, Oregon, and he says, uh, just wanted to comment on the concept of backing up your Azure SQL database. Yes, Azure keeps three replicas of all SQL databases, so you're well covered for hardware failure within the Azure data center, but there are two scenarios that these replicas do not help you with. One, you submit a rogue SQL query that screws up your data. In this case, all three replicas are now screwed up and you have nothing to fall back on. Or two, the data center you're in fails in entirety for an extended period, and now you have no access to your data. Hmm. Making your own backups are the only solution to these two problems today. This is an area where Azure is sorely lacking. They need to be able to enable customers to restore backups of their databases. I mean, Azure keeps backups, of course, but customers have no access to them. Azure should also be allowed to fail over to a replica database in a different data center. Both these features are promised, but until then, it's your own responsibility to keep backups. Yeah. Now, Brett, the three replicas include one that's always in a different data center. Mm. And we've already run into this. Oh my God, yes, have we? Yes, we have, haven't we? Yeah, get date, turns yeah. out. That changes yeah. on the cloud. Depends on which data center your, your, your uh, store procedure runs in, you'll get a different time. Yes. Ask us how we know. So, you know, you might have noticed that sometimes .NET Rock shows publish early. Have you seen that? Yeah. Well, they're actually in the feed before the next day comes, and that's because we ran into problems. Our store procedures are actually calling get date, yeah. which is going to be sometimes in UTC, Turns sometimes out, yeah. When you Eastern. don't own the SQL Server anymore and it roams around the globe, time changes. Yeah, so there is a get uh, UTC, UTC date. date. Yeah, this is a work we've done yep. during the road trip to get yep. it straightened out. That'll Good get fun. you universal time. But the other scenario we painted there, that you can shred your own database, absolutely true. Ask me how I know. Yep. You know, you can do it. So keeping your own backup, I mean, it would be nice if we could tell Azure, hey, take a snapshot of my database as it is. Okay, restore from that. That's not, that functionality I'm sure is coming, but it's not there yet. Yeah. Uh, one way or the other, Brett, you don't have to be right to get a mug. So uh, a mug, it's on its way to you. And if you'd like a mug, just write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com. Now, there's one other thing we want to say before we start the show. Two other things, actually. But we want to talk about our conference in Las Vegas for the listening audience. Uh, this is Dev Intersection. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we have put together, Richard and I, with our friends. Our goal is to, to do a more agile, heterogeneous show. And that means that we're going to be talking not just, we're going to be talking, that means we're talking about JavaScript, okay? Yeah. This is really what it comes down to. No. Um, <laughs> all, you know, Scott Guthrie's going to be there. Scott Hanselman's going to be there. All the, Michelle's going to be there. Michelle's going to be there. Richard and I will be there. The Franklin Brothers band might be there. Mm -hmm. 
and this is in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand, the big draw for that is that we've negotiated a rate of $65 a night for you. So you come down for a few days in Las Vegas, and everybody who signs up by November 1st gets a ARM tablet. Right. A new generation tablet. So if you'd like a tablet, you know, if you... Where do I sign up? Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're coming already. You're there. But so, if you uh, want to know, it's devintersection.com, December 9th through 12th. All right. Okay. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers developer training online with experts such as people that you hear on this show. Uh, they offer 300 courses plus, and you, they offer 8 to 10 new courses every month, and all sorts of stuff that they can cover. Just about everything on the Microsoft stack, plus iOS, Android, uh, Java, um, a whole bunch of stuff on Windows 8 and Windows Store apps. So check them out, Pluralsight.com. And subscriptions start at just $29 a month. With that, let's reintroduce Michelle LaRue Bustamante, who needs no further introduction. Give her a big hand again. <laughs> Last time you were on the show, we did the traditional Michelle ends the show with a dirty joke, which you, do, which you always do. So we would just like to tell people that on this show, you're not going to hear the entire joke. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Carl. We're, you're just going to tell punchlines. There's a plan. We're just going to do punchlines. But that's at the end. Yeah. At this the is end. the beginning. And I really enjoyed your presentation you did here. I know the listeners didn't get to see it or hear it, but we're going to certainly talk to it. But this whole, the, how startups have evolved and how important the cloud is in that, I, you know, I'm on board 100%. You, can you give us like a one-minute synopsis of that, that, that sort of point of view? Well, it, it's really about the fact that, you know, in general, we've evolved to the point where cloud is a commodity, right. hosting is a commodity, mm -hmm. and to some extent, IT, parts of IT operations are commodity. Sure. And it needs to be that way mm -hmm. in order to be successful as a business these days because, you know, we need to be able to focus on our business, our core business, not on, you know, other things that are just... Security related should be commoditizable. Hosting should be commoditizable. Um, anything you can delegate, do. Right. And so I think that that's what's pushing this more than anything. And also this growing, I guess, trust. Even though everyone's afraid, they're trusting to some extent. Cloud vendors are doing their job. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago when I did, you know, software as a service, which we called ASPs. Right. Um, we had to work really hard to get trust. Yeah. Really hard. It, it, it certainly has moved on, but I think the biggest thing here is we've just driven down the cost of doing a startup dramatically to the point where... Like to zero? Yeah. yeah. Except for your time, which is worth a lot, but sure. I mean, if you have an idea and you're a founder, you know, you got to... You got to work, right? But you know what's I mean, great about the cloud yeah. is that it's the hardware stuff that goes away for you. The software, you know, operating the software of the cloud still is a necessity. Mm -hmm. However, you know, for developers like us that like to play with software, that's not so difficult to do. And this is one, one of your points in your talk was that, you know, these are the configuration settings that I've broken out for my app. You know, I can do this. I'm a developer, but I can do it. It's not right. that difficult. Well, if you think... Okay, if I go back to the era of 2000-ish, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had to do a 24-7 operation in the insurance industry, which means our partners that we needed data from were very demanding. They were very large companies. They were Fortune 500 companies. And their first question was, you know, how do I know you can back up and recover? How do I know how you're securing the data? How do I know... 
that if there's an earthquake in California, you're not going to go away. You know, you need to have a backup also in New York. And about a week later, they had the blackout. But anyway. Um, <laughs> That's because oh, Richard plugged in not. his laptop, yeah. actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I blame me. Yeah. But oh, you're really? right. You Thank end up you. spending millions of dollars to stand up so all this much. infrastructure. $750,000 to get that startup off the ground because we went with uh, Solarix equipment. We went with um, uh, Oracle because mm-hmm. our customers said only Oracle. Right. Very, very caro. That means very expensive, expensive in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, you know, Oracle's licensing model. So how much money yeah. you got. Yeah. yeah. No, right. truly. And, yeah. and you, had to, you have to license the software upgrades or else you can't actually have the product. And right. then you don't get the upgrades and you don't get the support. And then not only that, equipment. And having enough, you know, to scale out and having promise of replacement equipment. And you have to pay for that with vendors. So mm-hmm. think of all of that organization, which clearly we wouldn't have to do today. But it was a ton of work. Right. Just so. to get Hello World. And just really, just to get live yep. and to have it on the right type of equipment and environment that we could somehow prove to customers, you can trust us. Because they it, wanted to see the big plumbing. iron, you know? It's still plumbing, really. It's hardware plumbing, yeah. but it's the same way that we use frameworks and software so we can stop writing plumbing. And we still couldn't see those servers. Sure. After we got it in the Colo facility... After we had it set up with the internet connectivity and the redundant internet connectivity, everything redundant, yep. we didn't really go in physically to the machines very often, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in fact, sometimes, eventually, you know, when the MSPs came about, you never saw the machine. Mm-hmm. So really, why shouldn't that be a commodity? It makes sense right. why we're here today, which it, it should be no surprise. I mean, we're here and it's going to stay. So for a startup company, this is ideal because there's minimal, if none, no cash laid out up front. It's all based on how much you use the service. I have spent zero dollars. Zero dollars. So you're so you're in the midst of a startup right now. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about it. Well, so thanks for the lead-in. I'm no. here to serve. <laughs> Find a way. Meatballs. No, uh, you know, I'm I'm in the midst of of you know after actually several in the past few years. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the one that I'm in the midst of right now is a curation product for, you know, collecting and organizing links of content. You might call it your favorite content, but, you know, there's different reasons and templates that we're building for that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's research purposes, education purposes. And it's also we're good for sharing. In general, sharing. And across. also private. Don't, don't dismiss the value of, of a private, you know, Snapboard. I mean, that's the idea would be I could have all of my stuff, you know. I, I Snapboard, to a, that's what it's called? Snapboard is the name of the business. Snapboard.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Snapboard.com. Yeah. So, yeah. So you were saying the private snapboards. Yeah, like a private snapboard would be um, all the things I look at every day, you know, like uh, these, you know, places for my son's education stuff or Mm -hmm. um, places that I frequently go to check status of bills and so forth. Places that I go, you know, to log in, even if it's, you know, Windows Azure, I know how to type that out. So that's not a big deal. But there's an awful lot of other links that have longer links and I have to go keep finding them or drill down. And it's just nice to have it at my fingertips. So And it's not buried in document layers somewhere, right? Exactly. Because, you know, right have you ever had documents where you save links? You're doing research project on, mm-hmm. like, security or something. Well, which and, document is that and in? And you're like, where yeah. did I put those again? So I end up Googling again, right. right? And then I find different stuff. And, you know, it's just nice to be able to go plop, snap it, put it in the snap. One, of the, yeah, one of the best features of, uh, G, what was it, the, the personalization of Google's homepage mm-hmm. was this little thing that you could just, like, a sticky note that you could right. put in. And once my, the guys in my company found that, oh, my God, like, like all, the, all the, what would we call the, the introductions for the shows, right. they would put those in there because that was the only place that was outside of their network they right. could just yeah, share just stuff Yeah, just having a on. place you can go to and yeah. Yeah, have content. So this so. is sort of like that on steroids. 
Well, and really the longer term vision is that you would be able to also upload content right. and host it with mm -hmm. us up to a certain amount, you know, so think of it like an organized Dropbox. Right, an organized um, Dropbox, very and nice. And then eventually you could like have an e-commerce engine behind it and sell stuff. So, I mean, we do have a freemium plan, right? Yeah. So, right. you know, the professional version will have other features, but we're talking to a lot of corporations about that kind of stuff because the larger businesses are the ones that will actually pay us, you know, earlier and we kind of want to have some money in the in the door to show that we can right. have a business the whole So you plan. haven't taken external funding yet? No. Nope. Really? So nope. self-funded so far. Cuz Zero dollars yeah. equals, hey. But so it costs you your time. But you are running it's it on Azure. Time. There must be some money being spent on Azure. Zero. Really? I have a BizSpark account. Oh, okay. And then so I have you're my, into BizSpark. We're BizSpark. And we're actually BizSpark Plus, but I haven't kicked that off yet because when I kick that off, I get a year of $60,000 free. So that means when we're ready to start streaming media, I'll need to start that off. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. So I don't want to kick that off until we're actually needing to use that because right now I can run it off the basic BizSpark so I saw, and I, we're not even using bandwidth. Yeah, this is a good, so but I thought BizSpark was just, so, was just, you got software for Microsoft. Like what all's in BizSpark? No, BizSpark is a plan that gives you essentially not only MSDN software, which mm -hmm. is also useful for the development team, um, but it also gives you Azure services. So think of it like you, with your MSDN account, right. you've got an Azure subscription. Mm -hmm. Sure. And in there, you have a certain number of hours you can use, which um, usually equivalent would be two extra small instances for the entire month for free. Okay. So that's why it's kind of cool if you're a small business, extra small instance times two, you don't pay anything on the basic BizSpark or on the basic MSDN Subscription. So if you just own an MSDN subscription, and that's good pretty enough. much if you own a copy of Studio, you own an MSDN subscription. And you can see how much you're using, so you can sort of monitor that and sure. make sure that you're not going over. You can actually set it up to where it stops functioning Before if you reach billing. the billing point, wow. but that might be bad for a startup because then it shuts down. So yeah. <laughs> we Last turn week that of each off month, just we don't do case. anything? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. But with the now you're talking about a sixty thousand dollar level. Like, well, what was That's that? That's BizSpark Plus. Okay. So BizSpark Plus is a program you have to probably ask to get into. Well, I got to mention, and they'll evaluate your startup hmm. and sort of look at you know what kind of services you're going to use and whether or not you'll need that. And uh, I guess you have to qualify. Mm -hmm. And then, but isn't that true of all BizSpark roles? Like, how did you get into BizSpark? No, I think BizSpark you is automatic. I right. mean, any startup up. that's not making any. You know, up until, what is it, three million or a million a year or something? Right. So the first three years, unless you start making money, right? Okay. So, like, if I start making a million so a year, no I suppose I'm paying our, our team, in which case I'm not too worried about that. Right, yeah. Yeah. Zero so, risk. Zero. So it's really zero up. risk. I okay. just literally signed up, and I was able to start pushing stuff out there and not have it charge me. So we have to watch it, you know, and the things that make everybody nervous right up front is... But how do I know how much bandwidth is really going to be used, right, right? Right. So I put together this monster pricing sheet. I actually have that on my blog so people can look at it. And I keep refining it over time, you know, as our business evolves. Because our pricing model against Azure costs is changing slightly with mm -hmm. our new sort of, you know, business model. Um, but the point is the costs, you know, of Azure, you have to kind of go down and look. What does bandwidth, use, bandwidth usage mean? Yeah. And, you know, if you're streaming media, then it could mean you have to figure out what's an average size of that media, right? If I was letting people host content with me, mm -hmm. then if every piece of content is like, you know, three meg, let's say, or even 50, then 
I, I got to do the math, right? right? Like if, if five users reach your one content and if on average five users hit everybody's content and you mm -hmm. multiply that by how many people push content, then I can come up yeah. with a calculation that gives me some sort of amount. Right. And then I can play with those numbers in the spreadsheet and, and kind of figure out what bandwidth uses I've got and map that to the costs and then subtract the BizSpark free stuff and see where my costs lie. And if you look at the spreadsheet that's already on my blog. Which is DOS blog. Which is at, no, it's at michellelarubustamante.com. Oh. Say that fast three times. Okay, um, Michelle With one yeah. L. <laughs> Michelle with one L. Too. Michelle with one L. I have to spell all three of my yeah. names. Because nobody can spell any of them, including yeah. my first name. Isn't that horrible? It's awesome. I got, I got to change it to Michelle Busta or something. So at dosblonde.net, can um, you link to it? Sorry? Dosblonde.net does link to it. So yeah. if you can spell Dosblonde with an E at the end, and don't that. search Google for that because you're going to get all kinds of interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. I, we'll, I picked we'll that blog name sitting beside a German who didn't warn me. Seriously. <laughs> right. that, was, that was Clemens. Nice job. Clemens yeah. Fosters. Thanks, Clemens. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and we will put the links on the show. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, makers of Kendo UI. Are you a web or mobile developer who wants to build amazing sites and apps? Looking for the best tool out there that can really improve your development work? We've got the answer for you. Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, you'll find a jQuery-based tool set that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, and blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash .net, that's D-O-T-N-E-T, to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 60-day trial with support. Also, Tablet Show number 19 was an interview with Todd Anglin on the Kendo UI. Richard and I talked to him at length about this great tool set. That's at thetabletshow.com and look for show number 19 in the archives. And when you talk to the Telerik guys, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So it's a yeah. great big expense calculator kind of chart. Right. And the yeah. biggest expense, I mean, the end result of our evaluation, mm -hmm. when we, I did an analysis assuming content was being hosted in the service, which means the heavy usage of bandwidth, people downloading and looking at videos and podcasts and things like that. Right. Um, that was where most of the costs lied Extreme. in bandwidth. Everything else almost was free, looking at the BizSpark, um, you know, sort of uh, returns. Mm -hmm. Right. And then only the bandwidth, you know, you exceed that pretty fast mm -hmm. if you're doing big pieces of content. So that's where that kind of business, you got to have a plan around, you know, those costs. Now, how much is a lot? Yeah. I mean, if it's, you know, a thousand a month, that seems a lot if it's just me or just me and my co-founders right. and we have no budget and no funding. I mean, I don't particularly want to spend a thousand a month just for fun. But it's still, I right. mean, I'd rather buy shoes, right? Well, you know, <laughs> so, you know it depends on if you're monetizing your, <laughs> If you're monetizing your product though, you right. may get that back. So but that's what I was gonna say is, you know, if it's costing me a thousand a month, then I probably have X number of users. So that should show traction, which means I should be able to get funding. Right. And the next step, of course, is yes, but at some point the customers have to pay. When does that kick in? Right. And that's where you know it helps in order to get funding to know somebody would actually pay, which means a customer who not just says, "Oh yeah, I'd use that," because you know people say that all the time, and mm -hmm. then do they? Right. Mm -hmm. I'd you use it to, if it was they free. Prove yeah, it. People yeah. do they say prove that. Prove it by putting time in with you. Right. Because if they won't even put the time in to help you develop it. 
they don't need it bad enough. Right. In which case, you haven't found your customer base. Yeah, what you, you know? want is people frustrated with your product. I mean, it really, yeah. they care enough about it to, to miss the things that aren't there. And then maybe pay for those things. Mm -hmm. well, I right. mean, would you pay 50 a year for this? Like, it's right. a question, mm -hmm. right? And what's the hook? What's mm -hmm. the piece that gets them wanting to pay? Exactly, yeah. You know, I, I look at TripIt was great for this. So TripIt right. was free, it did all these great things, but they had the, the pro account, which I think was $50 a year. Right. And the one thing it did that mattered to me most is it sends me a text message about my next flight. Mm. So, so while I'm still on the plane, I turn the cell phone on and bing, there's that message that says, your next flight's delayed, so you know what you're gonna do And they next. do it before the airline exactly. does. Exactly. Which so, I, I get those all the time after I've already boarded. I'm like, dude, yeah. <laughs> thanks I, I, for letting me know yeah. that, yeah. But that's 50 bucks a year, you yeah. bet, I'll pay that in a second. I like that trial model where you get certain features and then you make them miss the features that they want yeah. rather than yeah. giving them a trial period where they get all the features yeah. and then suddenly, oh, like certainly that. you Take can't, away. You can't you, cut and paste anymore, yeah. sorry. Yeah. You're out of there. Yeah, no, if you really I, I want to cut and you. paste, you're going to have to pay us some money. It's like, you know, it feels like extortion. LinkedIn does that. You know, like yeah. they always give right. you this, oh, this many people right. have checked your profile. That actually intrigued me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh, who is looking at my profile? I never thought of that. And right. I went, and then, of course, it shows you like three people. And it says, oh, but there's like 20 more if you want to know. You got to upgrade. You got to pay. You got to pay. Right, yeah. But it's a good hook. It's a good hook, but right. you know, what's your relationship with LinkedIn now? It's, it kind of feels like, hey, you know, I got all the answers right here. You just gotta <laughs> give me a little money, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. I'm gonna make you enough for you can't refuse. You like that? <laughs> nice. All right, more Marlon Brando. I'll make yeah. a note of that. Okay. Yes, please do. But yeah. it, I guess this has gotta be, this is not a straight line path. Like you don't necessarily know what you need to do next, what you need to do next. Like, I've got to think you're really wrestling with the pricing model for Snapboard. Yeah, well, we, you have to start with something, right. and then you have to start running it by people. Mm -hmm. And it, you're right, because you definitely don't want to go up after you go live. Right. It's yes. better to bring the price down, Absolutely. but you don't want to tar charge so much that people Just completely walk off. away. But there's another theory to that, and that is don't be afraid of the first people walking away. You know, like, if you put up that minimum viable product, and mm -hmm. there are people that see it and say, you know, I'm not going to use this. Mm -hmm. For as many people as there are that will not use it or tell you, there might be people that will actually tell you. And that feedback is so good for your business, mm -hmm. you can afford to lose those first couple people that didn't stay because you're going to learn from the people that cared to tell you and then you're going to make it better. And then the next group, the next wave, you know, you have to be prepared for that process. One thing that intrigued me about your demo um, that you showed hotspots where people were clicking on the website. And they're basically these little things that show you where on your website people are clicking. How, how, is, how is that possible? So what tool is there that? There are a lot of tools. There's this thing called Visual Website Optimizer. Mm -hmm. That's just one example of many. And a lot of these are free. They do the model where you have to pay after a month and okay. very rudely shut it down. And we lost our tests from last month. But I, I rigged it up one more time just because I didn't have time to research another tool just yet. Sure. But there's a lot of free tools, like user voice is awesome, and they've got a lot of free services. There's still a paid service. But, but if you think of it like a JavaScript yeah. programmer, he's thinking, you know, oh, all i got to do is sit and hang in the background, and when they click, find out that X and Y coordinate and send that to a service. That's exactly what they do. I mean, yeah. you, you stick in a little JavaScript, and it's the same JavaScript across all the pages. And if you have a, a common base page in your mm -hmm. MVC app, then it's, what it's a all brilliant 
idea. It's brilliant. In one shot, in one picture, you, you find where the clusters of clicks are yeah. and what people are clicking on they shouldn't be clicking on. But it's you know the what's Billy Hollis elevator button problem yeah. in software. You know what's really funny? I remember in you know 1997, I worked at a business where we had a usability person and she All would right. go around and annoy everybody <laughs> and yeah. force us to sit and go through these like paper flows, you know, yeah. workflows and like, okay, now where would you click here and here? Right. Really, really time-consuming stuff. And it was the thing of the day. Right. right. And not everybody did it as a business, but this particular business invested in that, pro- in mm. that type of person. Um, today, you don't even need that because there are all these tools. And it's not just the heat map that tells you, oh, people are clicking this area I didn't expect. That tells me something, right? I yep. should respond to that. Uh, but you get the number of clicks. So I didn't show wow. you a different screen where you could actually hover and it'll show you they're never clicking in this area. They're clicking on this text area and like the percentages mm-hmm. of the yeah. clicks on the page that went here or here or here. So you get some sort of metrics on, you know, how often people prefer to go here than here. Right. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's like, I don't have to do anything. And Magic. I got all that information just like that. Mm, so it awesome. takes me, what, two minutes to evaluate that and, and learn? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Doesn't this speak to a larger ideal of, you know, you don't necessarily know what your customer wants or uses or anything like that. Like, get you think as much you do. You think, we always think we do. Right. Yeah. We, and I think we tend to cast the customer as us. Right. And I think we're wrong. Uh, you know, I like that you, you said minimal viable products, like ship the fewest number of things so that you can be influenced as early as possible. Absolutely. And you, you it's learn so from hard them. to do, uh, though. That's just what DevOps is all about, right? You're right. instrumenting your code and letting the code tell you, let the customer tell you without even knowing it, yeah. what yeah. they're doing. And then you can make another iteration and use that data to make better features. Yeah. And if you don't do that, if you don't start with minimum, do you know how hard it was for me? Like, I mean, any developer, right? You don't want to show people your code when you're not done, right? Right. Yeah. Because nobody, even when you're done, likes another person's code. I mean, you're going to rewrite it. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know... But, but in addition, what about UI? Even worse. I mean, and I'm not a designer. I absolutely suck at design. Like, absolutely 150% suck. If I had to do this startup without a designer, I don't know how I would get it done. However, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is, I could go through that first phase. Mm-hmm. I really could. And you know what? I could probably even go to the MVP. It just wouldn't look as pretty. Right. And when you say MVP... The minimum viable product. I could yeah. probably even go live with an MVP. I would have to struggle and fight and sweat to get some decent-looking UI because I just suck at it. Yeah. But I could get something up that's decent enough with an image and a graphic and a pretty border, and then that would be all I could do. Mm. And you shouldn't be afraid to do that right. because you'll hear from the people. And that very early stage, when we went to a customer that wanted to sort of use us as a corporate resource center. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have the pretty UI yet. And we're like, "Ah, I don't want to talk to this guy. And the first thing he said, I told you in the speech, is, oh. How ugly. Oh. And you could hear in his voice. He didn't say, your shit's ugly. He didn't do that. (laughs) But what he did is he said, he was sort of like, hmm. And you could see that he wasn't engaged, right, right, in the conversation at all. And I think to myself, damn it, it's the UI, I know it. And so I tried to push him in the direction of, okay, so what is the problem you're trying to solve? Because he had a problem he wanted to solve already. Mm-hmm. And he started talking. And then when he clicked the links, you know, he, mm-hmm. 
he was like, okay, yeah, you know, I'd really like to see this and this and this and this, and this is kind of how I'd like to use it. Can I send this to my marketing person so she can look at it and we can play with it? And we said, we'll give you a link that you can actually create your own board. It's going to be cumbersome as heck. We don't have our tools in place for you to browse and snap yet. So it's going to be literally super cumbersome. Right. And he's like, that's fine. Because he just wanted to feel that he could build the resource center, right? But I also anyway, think at the at the end, I just wanted to say is at the end of that, we showed him a mock, mm-hmm. a picture of the pretty UI that was coming, and he goes, "Oh, that's awesome! Can I send that to my marketing person?" So, I mean, <laughs> awesome. it, it totally proves, of course, better UI is is good. But he was still engaged before that. You just have to be brave enough to say, "Okay, I'm going to do it," you know. But I, I, what I really appreciate about that whole situation is, if you'd had the UI, he would have focused on the UI. You wanted him to focus yeah. on the features, and that's mm-hmm. all he could see was the features. Right. So it was maybe that initial resistance. Once he got in, like you it's got the true. right, you it's got the right engagement. It's actually true. I, you know what? I'm glad you said that because yeah. you're right. That's I, exactly right. I want yep. the right engagement. I want a guy who cares about the feature set, exactly. not how it looks. Yep. That, if yep. he doesn't care about the feature set, the rest is not important. Well, and, and I can tell you a good story about that because mm-hmm. the startup prior to this one that shall not be named because it never happened, right. um, it had a name that now will never be used. Right. <laughs> but we went through a different process and it was a different, uh, slightly different founding group. And one of, the, of the, the focuses was it had to be a killer UI experience. Mm-hmm. And so, literally, we spent a year and a half, I'm kidding you not, under the direction of, of you know, a team, mm-hmm. where our plan was first this, and then, okay, that UI looks good, but, you know, it's not enough. We're going to have to build this, and then show the VC. And then we built that, and then, no, it's not enough, so we got to add this, because that's like the end game. That way we can show them the whole roadmap with three series of, of things to deploy. Yeah. You know what? We spent, like, way too much time. It mm-hmm. was stupid, because basically the goal was if the UI is killer, people are going to love it. And that was absolutely the wrong attitude. Yeah. Um, and... I'm glad I saw that happening mm-hmm. because I learned from it. Yeah, and great my instincts told me, why should the UI have to be good if somebody doesn't need this bad enough? Like, we've got a problem, right? right. The UI shouldn't matter that much because that means we're not solving a problem. But, um, you know, even though that's kind of how I felt, it just sort of, we had this momentum and you get caught up in it. Mm-hmm. And then we realize, oh boy, yeah, that was dumb. Richard, guess what time it is? Must be that happy time again. It's the time in the middle of the show where we get to give away stuff. I love it. So, if you guys here in the audience don't know what we're talking about, on the .NET Rocks page, there's this Get Free Stuff button. You click on that, and you can join the .NET Rocks fan club. And the .NET Rocks fan club allows you to win stuff. So, what we're giving away today is a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Nice. Which is everything that they do in one box, including support, it's worth a couple of grand, and our winner today is Carlos Redondo. Ah, so congratulations, Carlos. Clap. Big hand for Carlos. <laughs> Normally, we'd do a golf clap, but since we have all these hands, That's we can get right. a big clap. Carlos, get, everybody say hi to Carlos. Hi, Carlos. Awesome. awesome. He's feeling very special right now. All right, and uh, in December... We're going to give away the big prize. We're still arguing over what it's going to be, but $5,000 worth of technology. We've set aside five grand for a lucky winner that we get to handpick what they want. Maybe we'll give them a couple of options. Yeah. Well, uh, during the road trip, we were arguing about this, but I'm still hooked on the whole MakerBot thing, a 3D printer. 
Uh, would you like a 3D printer? Yeah. There you go. There you go. And with a computer, I mean, for $5,000, we can get a 3D printer and a computer, maybe a Wacom tablet so you can yeah. help draw out the objects, all the software. Like, that could be a complete 3D printing solution, about $5,000. Yeah. And a Surface, maybe. Yeah, we maybe probably throw need that some out. kind of computer. Maybe it should be a Surface. I don't know. Yeah, I was we'll going to be specific. And by the Surface, I mean the, the tablet. Yeah. yeah. Not the table. Not the table. Yeah. Which is now called... Pixels. But we, you know, we found, speaking of uh, 3D printers, you told me yesterday that they just made a guitar with a 3D printer. Through the 3D printer, which is crazy. But That's yes. crazy. Now, a playable guitar. Playable guitar. They, and several, they, uh, the, the body, the hollow body is plastic. Yeah. Uh, and they got good resonance out of it. And then there was a set of stainless steel components they made with a sintering 3D printer. But it's, you know, we're going to have to do a geek out just on additive manufacturing. So they're, you know, it's not just making, you know, little Warhammer 30,000 things out of plastic. (laughs) It's also um, the metal construction. There's a lot of different technologies. This whole idea of rather than carving stuff away, making stuff, assembling one molecule at a time. Maybe not quite that, you know. Is this one of those because I can things? Yeah, probably. I think additive manufacturing is a very big change overall. All right, we we can talk for hours about this. Now we're going to do a whole other show. We're derailing it. But Michelle, if we told you we have $5,000 for you to spend on technology, it doesn't have to be developer or anything, what would you... What would you want? A whole lot of snapboards? No. <laughs> <laughs> no shoes. Shoes don't count. Oh, I can't have shoes? You can't have shoes. No. We could put technology, technology in technology shoes. Technology shoes? Okay, if, if you gave me that much, what mm-hmm. I would want. I would want, well, you know, I don't have one of the tablets yet. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I, I'd want a tablet, but... You can't spend $2,000. not. It for, you get a yeah, whole lot of tablets for that. Yeah, that's a whole lot of tablets. So a tablet and shoes. No. <laughs> shoes. Um, a tablet and probably... Hmm. That's a really good question. I want like that, you know, a new upgraded flip with all the devices for recording oh, well, and yeah. some software for making cool videos. Uh, uh, so a video like recording, producing about, video about recording, a nice video camera, really yeah. nice video camera nice and HD really nice camera. video recording type yeah. of a and the oh. software setup on a machine. Setup. Like That's this, a great like idea. the stuff I saw back there today. Oh yeah, because I thought okay. that rocked. This whole studio, this setup? whole panning That's to videos and stuff. Idea. I want that for my house just for fun. Okay. Yeah. Wow, a I video, video, a video premiere. rig. Yeah, I like. I we love can that. definitely do that. For sure. Five grand. Yeah, five oh, grand is perfect. Nice. That's awesome. All right, where were we? I Before was we were going so to jump back into this whole conversation about the minimal viable product being influenced by the customer uh, and getting away from the UI, like focusing on the real feature. Mm-hmm. In fact, you want that feature to be so compelling that they'll fight through the awkward UI to use that feature. Like that to me seems to, if you make it glitzy and easy, anybody will play with it, right? right. They just, they, you know, they're in awe of how pretty your UI is. Right. But to make a feature that, even though the UI sucks, I still want this. Right. That to me seems like you're getting real data there. Right. You're not just humoring yourself with people liking how pretty your stuff is. They're getting into the feature that matters and you're fighting for right. it. Exactly. Looks, you know, are, I'm just, are I'm, just the surface. I'm so. still wrestling with what, how do you know you have a minimal viable product? So you have to go through the feedback phase. Mm-hmm. The early feedback phase would be when you're talking to people about really the core features that will go into the minimum viable product. So, you know, it's hard to say without an example. So right. for us, you know, the example was, look, what's the core of the product? I should be able to put links I care about mm-hmm. into category buckets and I should be able to, after I do that, drill down and get at them quickly and get to those pages. 
Like that's search. the core of the product. It's mm-hmm. just basic. There's no all search, kinds no. of stuff. So, oh, that's like future, right? That's it's future. like roadmap. Right. But I mean, until you have a massive content, search is useless, right? right. Sure. So it's, it's just, easy to find stuff. When what is it? Stuff. It's it's I need this. I need a board. I need to organize stuff. So mm-hmm. that's all I need to show, and I don't even have to show. So this is maybe a good example to give you an idea. We know that you have to have a browser plugin mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to, you know, snap browse stuff. around and snap stuff, right? Yeah. Just like with Pinterest, you go to a site, you click it and say, I want to pin it. And then they've got this tool and then it brings up like images you can choose and it's super easy, right? It's the same idea. Mm-hmm. And we have prototypes of those, but we didn't show it to the customer on right. purpose. Yeah. Because just the fact that the customer would say, are you going to give me a... Even though we already think we know the right. answer, right. isn't it good to hear that? Yeah, yeah. That's so your... rather than showing it in advance and as an obvious thing we're going to do, yeah. let them ask for it yeah. because it tells you yes, they want that. Yes. It just it validates you because you you think it's obvious, and you say that's a great idea. You're right? a genius. But the, I mean, the but far then more I got other things. people talking about completely different things. Right. Like I, you know, I said, oh, you got a link to your Twitter or this or that, and they're like. But can I get like a consolidation of my my Twitter and my Facebook feeds, mm. and then have that show right there? Yeah. You know, like just they're giving me feature ideas, right? That we might not if have you thought had of. Led with the plugin, they probably never would right. have talked about that. Yeah, or if right. we, if, or if I had led with other things we want to do with RSS or this right, or that. Right. If I told them the roadmap, yeah. then basically I'm not going to hear them say maybe some other idea. Well, you, well, you, not only that, but you're setting them up for disappointment. Like you're you're telling them all the things that they can't have. Like me with the Connects today, right? <laughs> Connect is sponsoring the road trip, but I don't have any now. So ah, I just thought right. I'd tell you that to disappoint you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, there's really a technique here about how to uh, be willing to be wrong. Don't feed too much information. Like, actually let them guide you. Don't guide them. Right. That's, yeah. that's not it's easy. It's really, really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you, especially. Because you want to show your best, right? Yeah. And, and, it's and, like going out without makeup on. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. all the time. Uh, yeah. But I also think that you know, we're in the business of solving problems, and we tend to just want to solve them mm-hmm. rather than to, to be influenced. Oh, and if I told you how many times I have conversations like with my, I've you know, two developers on our team, sure. right? Um, and how many times we'll like have like discussions about ideas, and they're like, "Oh, I should prototype that." It's like, dude, like, so like we actually have to have you know stick to the plan, yeah, right. Because you're never going to get the minimum viable product out if you try to do it all. And mm-hmm. it's so obvious you have this long list of things you know you want to do, and you want to attack all of it, and then you start feeling like, "Oh my God, I have to have money in the account before we can attack all of this." But you don't. You're- do just the basics and do right. it cheaply. And let's start seeing if you can show traction, because that's the number one thing that'll get you money. Right. Uh, that barring customers paying, which is another way to get money, but <laughs> you need more of that, so it's probably better to get a little uh, influx of seed capital or something. Do you? Should, if it's a real business, you know. Should you be a skeptic of your own product? Then I mean, you you, you keep pushing back on this. Yeah. That's because you know what? Think you about it. How many companies fail? Lots. Most. Lots and lots and lots yeah. fail. But why do they fail? I mean, it's it's been discussed mm-hmm. here and there amongst many, many of the lean startup people. Right. So I'm not innovating here by saying that you fail when you don't listen. You fail mm-hmm. when you don't find the customer that you're looking for. One mm-hmm. of the startups mm-hmm. that I was talking to, I go to these startup meetups in San Diego. And um, really great group of guys. They do um, uh, messaging. They have a core messaging framework product that you will automatically let you SMS or Facebook message between people, and it sh- you can build a UI in front of it. So, like for our product, Snapboard, we could have like comments underneath the snaps. Mm-hmm. 
why would I write all that code, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I'm going to use somebody else's product sure. because that's not my core business. Yeah, and it's a known and technology. And I should see right. if people even want to use messaging before I go and spend developer time yeah. on that. And again, so, that scenario, you want people coming to you going, right. I need messaging here. But you know, when they got to a framework, they, they actually didn't start out planning to build a framework. Hmm. They got there because they had customers they were working with and it landed to where they pivoted the, the business plan. Wow. Because originally they were going to do all the UI and they had other plans, mm-hmm. um, some of which details I'm not privy to. But he said, we pivoted big time to become an API because we found a big customer that wanted to pay for that. Right. And so they've got enough with that customer to launch them into the next phase of the business. That also sounds hazardous, too, that you end up building a product for a specific customer and not one for any other customer. Well, they have plans for the masses Mm -hmm. on the same API framework plan. So that, in general, was a shift that this is what people want. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, they've got a big customer that's taking over a little in order for them to meet their needs. But I don't think that's bad because now they're going to have a customer that's loyal, that's getting them off the ground, while still they have this list of minimum viable features they're still going to get in. And then they're going to go live with that and continue to satisfy their roadmap, right? Yeah, I, I do think it's it gives a them some stability. It's got to be a balancing act, though, because mm-hmm. the customer's going to keep demanding more. Hey, we've given you money, right. you know, and put a lot of pressure on you to go that direction. You have to have agreements up yeah. front. Well, I think you've also got to keep yeah. your eye on the horizon too. You do. The, what was the long-term goal here? Was it to yeah. support this guy, or was it to build this other product? You have to. I mean. There's really no way to guarantee that except for to work with the customer and say, okay, what is it that you want as a priority set of features? Mm -hmm. And then you line that up with your roadmap and you have to come to some agreement on a plan. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you do that before they give you money. Yeah, I think it's part of the challenge. There's got to be some trust relationship there. I also think those things are going to change over time. Like Mm -hmm. You may go off the track from there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you're right about staying on the roadmap because you're right. You don't sure. want to deviate from the long-term vision yeah, but money of the business. is almost poisonous in that scenario, isn't it? It can be yeah. if they take you too far away from your vision. Sure. But if it's like for us, we've got a customer potential, and they really kind of want what we've already done. Nice. And the only thing we would add, let's say, to satisfy them that we wouldn't have done MVP is some of the branding capabilities that people you know, might mm. pay for in the future. Mm-hmm. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's component1spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. So I want to ask you about... um, you, You mentioned really quickly some of these tools that you've used in your startup. Yeah. And let's run down the list, because... These, you know, yeah. the tools that you use, I think, are valuable to the people because if they're good enough for you. Yep. Yeah. So, so you know, Google Analytics is really good for, mm-hmm. for tracking and measuring. Uh, you saw a, a bit of a sort of, I would say, a comparative tool to that in my screenshots, which was the Visual Website Optimizer. Mm-hmm. Um, but visual, 
they only do so much, right? They give right. you the immediate visual stuff, so we started with that. That's but the Google heat map stuff. The heat map stuff. Yeah. Um, and they, they do other things like conversion rates, like how many people came to our front page that actually clicked the sign-up button. Mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, how many, that conversion rate's really important. It sure. tells you that, that when the page is working. It and tells it, you that people are compelled to sign up or click that button. So it doesn't have to be sign up. It could be how many people, when they get to this page, click here. Um, the ads, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. are the ads working? Are people hitting our ads? I mean, right. you're gonna have your own internal metrics to get, you know, if you're tracking ads to say how many people are clicking so that you can give those metrics to the ad company. And did Google Analytics slow down your product at all? Did you, did you find uh, that you it, had to move it to the footer? No. No? No. But, um, but the thing is, is Google Analytics has a lot of layers and you right, can play yeah. with it in your own way. Okay. Um, a great video on that, just a plug for my buddy Zoiner Tejada too, because mm -hmm. he did a Pluralsight video on how to use Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. Scream. Everybody scream. Now. Nice. <laughs> Take that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We're getting, uh, we have noise from the next room. That's We're getting right. a little too excited. Everybody's to, a little excited. You said Google Analytics them. and the room went crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we have to knock them down a little. But, it, but you do want those metrics, right? So, right? so imagine this. We put so little code up just to get the request invite live. Mm -hmm. And we, we did that to start getting the word out, right? Right. And then we added samples. So one of the biggest things that was important to us is that we're actually measuring those things. Mm -hmm. I had to get something in quick mm -hmm. and easy right. because if I don't gather that information, putting that live is useless to me because yeah. now I have no sense except for the actual signups of how many people visited and didn't. And that's important to me, right? Or when you get in and look at the samples, how many people went in and didn't click at all and said, ah, screw this, I'm out of here, you know? You yeah. want to know that. So you, the conversions are important. Um, so that's a good tools. Um, user voice is really cool because they user do all voice. user voice. Um, they have a feedback tool. So you can have actually a whole forum where people oh, wow. can talk about your product. And nice. we've built one too, but we haven't linked it to the site yet. So that gives you a way for people to have random conversations, post things I wish I had. Yeah. And it's free. You know, wow. I mean, there's, there's paid services, but there's a lot of free stuff you can do yeah, with yeah. user voice, including nice. polls, asking questions. Um, the poll that we did, we used a, another tool for that. Um, but I think I would go to user voice in future. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, just because they've got a more robust free model. And it's stuff you can just hook up with and JavaScript? And it's like JavaScript. You yeah. plug it in and you're done. You know, like just quickly tell me which logo color did you like, whatever. You wow, know? great. Yeah. So how are you doing A-B testing with this? Or are you doing That was testing? visual website optimizer. Right. And I love A-B testing. It's awesome. So, so you're that, putting up two different versions of the site at the right. same time? So what you do is you have your main site, say www.snapboard.com, and then you have like another URL, like say b.snapboard.com or yeah. whatever it is you decide to do. Um, in our case, we did it with websites. Mm -hmm. So we did it with the free version. So it wasn't actually the Snapboard URL. So it was just, right. you know, whatever. Anyway, mm -hmm. you link up two links. One of them is the one people hit, and they randomly send people to the other one. Okay. And then okay. they do the heat maps, but comparatively. So you can compare them side by side to see, you know, which again, people they don't were know more being engaged tested. on A or B, you know? And that gives you an idea of which UI is working better for and you. And they don't know they're being tested. They're just they using They don't know product. they're being tested. Yeah. Right. No. Mm -mm. Which, which is, great. I think, really important. Really important. Uh, it, I just, I love that. And it can yeah. make sure that the same person always gets back to the B if that's where they went so that they keep experiencing that. So you can see how often they go back and use and interact with your site. So that's kind of cool. cool. Yeah. How long would you run an A-B test like that? As long as you 
need to to get enough input. So right. I think that's a really so that's days. A, that's a judgment. It yeah. could be weeks. It could weeks. be you know. I would imagine weeks is about right because right. if you're actively updating your product, it really comes then back to the velocity of your site too. Together, new pages to test with, right? Or new screens to test with. Mm -hmm. Like our next A/B test would be around how do you snap things? Our yeah. our A/B test after that might be. You know, um, how do you view a snap that's actually content hosted with us or whatever? Mm -hmm. right. You know, like, I mean, it could be anything. So, yeah. It's cool. There's lots of different things. Do we have any questions for Michelle from the audience? All right. Hang on, sir. Um, just in general, like, when I, I speak very generally, how do you get customers to come in and look at your product? So just getting somebody to the Snapboard site. Yeah. So um, I tweeted that. And I got a bunch of people from that. I was actually afraid to. <laughs> all, all my five followers, if they all came at once, what would happen? Uh. No, just kidding. <laughs> I don't tweet a lot. I should. And that's a big problem because you actually need to build a following. Sure. <clears throat> I have an advisor, Mr. Mm -hmm. Daniel Egan, who's uh, going to help yes. me yeah. um, understand how I can better leverage the social stuff. Because I have to admit, I'm not the best at it, right? Mm. I just, but when I'm you, too busy. I'm so busy. But it really came down to you tweeted and you got some traffic. I did. I first went to Facebook because I wanted to do it sort of more privately just right. to see what happened. I, I was nervous, right? right? And then I tweeted and I got a, a bunch more. Mm -hmm. And then some, I think a few people retweeted. Right. And so then that expanded. But again, out of those tweets, I mean, think about it. It's all a numbers game. How many people you have following you? I mean, somebody has 30,000. There right. might only be 100 that actually looked at that tweet, and maybe only 50 of those will actually go to the site. Right. So if you only have 1,000 followers, like maybe two people are going to go to your site, right? Sure. So then I emailed some of my internal list to mm -hmm. say, hey, guys, friends, you know, could you, like, hit it for me? Like, I just want to get some metrics. And that was not really about customer feedback. That was more about getting metrics. Right. Um, so I think if you don't have a following on Twitter or people to go to that way, it becomes more challenging, I suppose. Right. Like, how do you get sort of the word out? sort of just in the friends and family phase. If you really want a customer, it's like, mm. give me a customer that yeah. doesn't have a previous relationship with you. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I guess you would have to, you'd have to be out there blogging. You'd have to be out there on maybe TechCrunch and some of the startup communities mm -hmm. to try to build a buzz. So you've got to have somebody proactive on how do we market. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm going to start not having as much time to code, for example, even though I can. Well, it's right. really funny about about that. It's, Just I making it clear, I still can code. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I remember being at a regional director meeting and them talking about how important it is to tweet in Facebook and be social and stuff. And somebody asked Michelle if she was going to do that. And she's like, what? She's like writing code. Hey, I'm really effing busy here. I don't have time for this crap. No, and then I think... Uh, That's the way you I feel, think, though. I think, you know, it's true, though. I'm really effing busy. And then I think... And then, like, and then Kevin asked, like, do you want to make an apple... Like, you're going to go home and make an apple pie for your husband? I said, right. seriously? I don't have time to effing tweet. You think I've got effing time to make an effing apple pie? Make your own effing pie. <laughs> My husband loves me, though. Yeah. But he, he doesn't need lives. that kind of stuff. No. He that's saves lives. Him. He yeah. saves lives. Yeah, he saves lives. Oh, yeah, lives. that's a funny one. So <laughs> we had this conversation. I'm always working. I work he's a, a lot. He's a doctor. He's right. a doctor. So I'm working, working, working. And uh, he's like off one weekend, and I was really just pissed off that I had stuff I had to do for Monday. And I'm, I'm not free, and he's going having his little coffee in the morning. And <laughs> then, and then. So I said, you know, it's nice you have the time off, though. At least you've got a reasonable schedule now. He goes, Michelle. 
I save lives. <laughs> <laughs> How do you respond to that? It's like, except for F you or I don't know. Something. Hey, not at you. I save sorry. lives. <laughs> We're not videoing that part, right? That's really right. funny. All right, really quickly. Joke punchlines, because we can't tell the whole Only joke. Only joke punchlines. Only lines. the punchline. Okay. So that means you have to go to the .NET Rocks show right. and figure out which one has the full joke. That's right. Because I'm All sure right. I've told these on .NET and Rocks. The first one to send us an email with those show numbers, oh. maybe we could give away another Telerik DevCraft yeah, complete collection. Yeah, that would be fun. Okay. And you know you can go to the end of the show, or do they have to play the yeah, whole show? No, no, no. They're at the end of the show. They're at the end of the show. So you don't have to like listen to the whole show again, you know. All right, so, okay. so give us the punchline. Okay, so what about that barbituate? <laughs> barbituate. They know the joke. That's I know why the they're joke. laughing. Yes. You'll laugh later. I know. Um, <laughs> Chunks is my dog. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about jokes that fit with that. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. One um, more? Um, bitches, please. Everyone knows the first thing they're going to look for is a black box. <laughs> oh, man. He's got insurance. That was another one. <laughs> Most people take the camel into town to get girls. <laughs> they don't really need a joke, do nope, they? We they can really just don't. tell the punchlines. No. Let's wrap them punch, up. Let's just do that always. All right, okay. awesome. And hey, like to give Michelle Rubasamonte another great big round of applause. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com Got a van by the FCC Yes, I'm a dog